0: Lord, thank you for this moment where we can just stop everything and focus on your word. I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, everything that we say and talk about, Lord, will always reflect you. I ask for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to come, that he would speak to us and he would draw us closer to you and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are going to get straight into God's Word. I hope you're ready for it. Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse Uh, 4. This is going to be a very good idea to take some notes down, especially this type of sermon uh, that we're going to go through. We're going to go through a lot of scripture because I really want to lay a great foundation going forward. As you know, we're talking about the subject. The theme this year is launch, L-A-U-N-C-H. We're on the L side, which speaks about lean not upon your own understanding. We as a church want to get to a place where we're not putting our trust in, we're not fully uh, putting every our weight into things that cannot be trusted. When you trust something, it's got to hold you up. And in this world we live in today, there are many teachings, there are many stories, there are many people, there are many individuals that we put our trust in, but they let us down, they fail us. But there's one thing in this world that will never fail you. Ladies and gentlemen, please focus. Listen to this. There's one thing that will never fail you, and that's God's word. God's word is incredibly stable. God's word is the foundation to which we grow in. Amen. So let's get into God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this. But God, who is, what's the word there? Rich in mercy. Ladies and gentlemen, I could say amen, close the service off. We could go home just after that one little portion of scripture. God is rich in mercy. When you are rich in something, it means you have an abundance of. It does not mean that, oh my word, if you ask me for it, I've got to go count my pennies to make sure I've got enough to give out. I've only got a small portion to give out. No. The Bible says, and I want you to grasp this, I want you to understand this, we serve a God that is rich in mercy. He doesn't just have a small portion, he's rich in mercy for his great, listen to the language, his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has made us alive together with Christ, by grace you are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a powerful scripture as well. If I can press press the pause button for a moment. Even though we are sitting right here on earth in this beautiful place uh, in Fishhook, did you know the Bible declares that as we are seated here, we are also seated with Christ where? In the heavenlies, where is Jesus seated right now? At the right hand of the Father. The right hand of the Father speaks of a place of authority. It speaks of a place where he's seated right hand, the right hand of God himself, meaning that he has total authority. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, even though we're here on earth, the reality is simply this, you and I are people of great authority. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to realize that when people try and suppress you, where people try and put you down, where where people have spoken against you or whatever it might be, we are no longer slaves to this world. We are people with authority in your workplace, in your homes, uh, in any area, any situation. You are people that are seated at the right hand of authority. Who understands rank? Anyone understand rank? If you have a rank... It means you have some form of authority. And that rank, it doesn't matter where you are in the country, the rank still stays the same. You have a ranking in the heavenly realm. You are children of the Most High God. You are a person, doesn't matter whether you're in South Africa, America, Canada, you are a person of authority. Why? Because you are at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. Carries on to say this. So that in the ages to come, he might show the, listen to the language, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. I love this part. For by grace you are saved, listen to the words, through what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, in other words, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with what you have done. You are not saved by anything that you can accomplish in this world, all right? It is a gift of God, not of works. Once again, not by anything that you have done, not by anything that you have accomplished, So lest anyone should boast. Think of that word boast for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Do you enjoy people that boast about themselves? Have you ever been to a bra where everyone, the whole conversation is about me? You know how awesome I am? Do you know what I've accomplished? Do you know what my, my meat? <laughs> Look at your piece of bread. Well, stick my steak. You know what I'm saying? You know those type of people. We don't like those people. that always boast. But here's the thing. God is saying. God is simply saying, your salvation, the place where you're at now, your hope, your glory, everything that you have has got nothing to do with you. It's all about God and all about his grace. The only thing we have to do in order to be saved is to have faith. And faith not in ourselves, lest we boast, but about God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says it this way, but without faith, it is what? What's the word there? Impossible. This is not Ryan speaking. This is not my opinion. This is the very word of God. God is literally saying, guys, it is impossible to please me without faith. Ladies and gentlemen, if God says it's impossible, do you think in our own strength, in our own understanding, we can make it possible? No, when God says something's impossible, it literally means it is impossible. You cannot please God unless it is done through faith. Last week, we came to an understanding That to grow in grace, to grow uh, as a Christian, it has to be founded on love. Remember we spoke about love? Has to be found on love. Love is the main ingredient in launching us into the next level of our walk with God. How many people know that God wants us to grow? Anyone here believe that? God wants us to grow. It's actually, it's actually quite strange if you do not grow. It's like, for example, imagine me in mid-sermon, in mid-sentence, stopping going, oops, Tammy, please take me and change me. I need my nappy changed. Now, could you imagine for a moment what you would be thinking if your pastor stopped in mid-sermon? Like, oh, my word. Uh, help me. I need to get changed. I need my nappy changed. All of you would look at me and think, no ways! This O's got problems, man. <laughs> You know I mean? What? I mean, check that out. I mean, he's like, I know he's young. I know I'm young. You know, he's young, but surely he's got to be out of nappies by now. Here's the thing. God wants us to grow. It is unnatural. It's not really uh, normal for us believers to remain infants. We're actually supposed to grow. The only way we grow is through love. Now, let me explain it to you this way. Especially the men. Who remembers the first nappy you had to change? Anyone remember? And mom, moms, you include in this one, okay? But we men especially remember this this traumatic moment. And I'm not talking about a wee nappy. Anyone can do that. We're talking about solid. We remember that. There's not one person alive that goes, Woo, yes, I can't wait to change this nappy. Oh, so exciting. I hope it stinks. I really do. I hope I see everything that this child has been drinking. No. No one does that. No one wants to change these nappies, but you do it. Can I tell you why? Because you love that child. Let me just say, if you truly love God, If you truly love God, you want to do your best for Him. It's not about wanting to do or having to do. It's because of love. So, the second key, in my opinion, is this. Only faith pleases God. I want you to hear that very carefully. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen. As you're seated here, if you want to please God, you want to do things for God's kingdom, you want to grow in your faith, it is only faith that will please God. You've got to know that. You've got to understand that only faith pleases God. Two children were playing on the hillside when they noticed the sun was soon to be gone and night would come. The one little girl remarked, look, the sun has almost gone down. Just a little bit ago, it was much higher over the trees right over there. The girl's sister, however, responded and said, well, the sun didn't really move. Dad says that it's the earth that moves and not the sun. To which the sister replied and said, The sun did move, not the earth. I've been standing here the whole time and the earth was still. While the sun was going down, I know what I see. To which the other sister replied, Well, I believe, Father, even if it doesn't look that way. I want to focus on those words. I believe, Father, even though it doesn 't look that way, all of humanity has been divided on this. We either believe what, we either believe what our senses tell us, or we 've got to believe what our heavenly Father says to us. Today, you have a choice who do you want to believe, what you see or what God says? Without faith, there can be no relationship with God. Each of us today must decide. You have to decide what you are going to believe today. Are you going to believe that there is no relationship with God unless you have faith, or are you going to believe something else? We have to choose. We live in a time where we all, where people are always using the words "I don't understand." Have you ever? Anyone with children? Have you heard that before? I just don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. That's like the common phrase wherever you go. I don't understand. What the heck are you talking about? So we all want to understand certain things before we believe them. The problem with this simply is that if we first wait to understand, it could actually be detrimental to you. For example, if you don't understand gravity, it's not a good idea to jump off a 20-story building in order to understand because you're going to learn the hard way that gravity exists. You see, it's also, if, if you don't understand that fire can burn you, you're going to learn the hard way if you put your hand in a fire. You will eventually learn what the truth is. You see, sometimes if you choose to, to wait till you understand to believe, you could be in big trouble. That's why as parents, we teach our children, wait before you cross the road, look left, right. The kids are like, whatever, that car can't hurt me. Please, man, I'll run like circles around the car because they don't understand. And sometimes we've got to take a step of faith before we understand. For example, I don't understand how a man can walk on water. I don't understand how someone who who has leprosy and has been condemned to death, all of a sudden with one word from Jesus Christ, they are healed. I don't understand how someone who is born blind, yet Jesus touches them and they are instantaneously healed. Here's the thing that I do know is I might not understand, but I have the faith to believe that God is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I believe that if God touches anyone today, whether you've got cancer, whether you're blind, whether you're deaf, that you can be healed in Jesus' name. There's times we've got to absolutely put our trust in God before we try to understand. Someone put it this way. For I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe in order to understand. For this I believe, that unless I believe, I should not understand. You want to understand God? You want to understand His ways? We first got to be people of faith. We've got to be people of faith. I don't want people to say, oh, you know, that's a wonderful church. They've got a lot of money in the bank account. Oh, that's a wonderful church because they're so full of people. Oh, that's a wonderful church because they've got a great building. No, I want the people of this community to stand up and say, that church is a church filled with people of faith. That church is full of people that actually trust God ahead of everything else that this world has to offer. That church is a church of faith. What are you? Are we people of faith? What is faith? Hebrew 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith we understand that the ages were framed by the word of God, so that the things being seen not to have come into being out of the things that actually appear. Now Hebrews chapter 11, ladies and gentlemen, if I could give you any advice, go home and read it. It's an amazing chapter in the Bible. In fact, theologians have called Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of fame chapter. The chapter of the heroes of faith. The honor roll of the Old Testament saints. Others have said it is the the Westminster Abbey of Scripture. The faith chapter and so on and so on and so on. Everyone describes this chapter as a chapter where it deals with the excellency of Faith. However, can I say this? Chapter 11 didn't just suddenly appear. There was chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. I know that's deep theology, eh? 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And what comes after 8? Nine, ten. 10. Oh, you guys, well done, eh? All good at maths. I'm very proud of you. 9, 10 before we get to 11. Did you know that the author of this book or this letter? Did you know who he was writing to? Can anyone guess the audience to which he was speaking to? Anyone guess? Hebrews. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. right. Who were the Hebrews? They were the Jews of the day. They were uh, were people of the old covenant. People who had an understanding of who God was in an old covenant way. So what the author did, and please listen to me. Go and check me out if you don't believe me. The author of this book was trying to prove one point. One point right through from chapter 1 right through to chapter 10. and chapter 11, he simply gives examples of old old covenant people uh, doing what he was trying to prove. What was he trying to prove, you might ask? The whole point of the first 10 chapters was that the new covenant in Jesus' blood is in every way superior to the old covenant. Go and check it out. He was literally uh, uh, teaching from from chapter 1. That Christ was the better high priest. He was better than any high priest that ever existed. And because he was the better high priest, he offered a better sacrifice. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. It wasn't a sacrifice that you to offer every single year. How many people know that Jesus is always more than enough? Jesus always fulfills every desire that you have. There's nothing impossible for him. And when he offered himself as the better, I would like to use the best sacrifice ever. It produced us, it allowed us and sealed us with a better covenant. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what it says. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in a time period where I am proud to say that Jesus is still better than anything that this world has to offer. He is better than the South African president. He is better than the mighty British pound. He's better than the American dollar. He's better than even, believe it or not, fiber that's coming uh, to uh, this town. I want you to know something. Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. And what the author of Hebrews is literally saying to the Jewish congregation is simply this. Jesus is better than any sacrifice of the old covenant. Jesus is better. Ladies and gentlemen, we have not changed the preaching. We have not changed what what he was trying to say. Jesus is better than you can ever imagine. He goes on to say that Christ, you go read it from chapter 1 to chapter 10, saying this, Christ is better than the angels. Jesus is better than any prophet of the Old Testament. He's better than Moses. You know he actually said that he's better than Moses. That's a big thing. In the Jewish culture, Moses was revered. And so when the author makes a statement and says, by the way, Jesus has more authority than Moses. Jesus is higher than Moses could ever be. It was a big thing. He said he was better than Aaron, better than Joseph. Basically everyone, Jesus is superior. So the Jews of the day simply hear this. They hear the teaching and they ask the question like it's asked today. The same thing. People that have been brought up, I've got to earn my way to please God. Do you know we are taught the same thing? Ladies and gentlemen, without us even knowing, we're taught the same thing. What do we teach our children? And it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. What do we teach our children? If you want something, you've got to work for it. You wanted something, you've got to work for it. You've got to earn it. You've got to work for it. We are taught subconsciously this is what we do. And when it comes to God, guess what? We think the same thinking. I've got to work my way to it. Now all of a sudden, the author of Hebrews says, guys, it's not about your works. It's about your faith. So the people asking, well, what to do? How do I get into this new covenant? What do I do? The Jew was so used to the work system, this whole grace system. Works weren't even involved. How then can we come to a new covenant? I mean, there weren't any sacrifices to make. There weren't any particular feasts to observe. There weren't any ritual washings to go through. There wasn't any type of ceremony. And believe it or not, there wasn't even circumcision. Some of the older men would have been like, praise Jesus for that. How then does someone who is oriented, the the whole system they know, is just works. How do we come to this new covenant of grace? That's the same question we're going to ask today, ladies and gentlemen. How do we get into this? Because this pastor standing in front of you, when I was born again, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I still remember so many times giving my heart to Jesus almost every single Sunday. Why? Because I try to work my way into heaven. I never felt good enough. I never felt that what I was producing was good enough. It felt like Sunday services was a time where I had to come to the front and cry and give my heart to Jesus again and again and again. And when I became a preacher of the gospel, that's what I expected. Every Sunday, I would rate my service. I would rank it how many people came up crying because that's how good a preacher I am. But is that honestly what God has called us to be like in the new covenant? To be a people that are living always on the knife's edge, not knowing if you're saved or not saved. You see, here's the reality and here's the truth. Jesus' sacrifice is good enough. It's not about what you can produce. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. It's about what he has done on the cross for us. In fact, the author is brilliant book of Hebrews is an amazing book. He comes to the Jewish congregation and says, guys, Abraham, everyone loves Abraham. Abraham is the father of the nation. Uh, Abraham is, is someone we look up to revere. And he asked the question, how was Abraham approved by God? Was it by his works? And the answer is simply no. The scripture literally says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. The whole point of the book of Hebrews is to take us to a place where we actually have faith in him rather than ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 2, I read it to you. It says this. Well, sure, before I get there. Isn't it amazing that on the cross, we understand the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where he paid the price for our salvation. Everyone agree with that? Hello, are you still with me this side? Checking. Are you still with me this side? So at the cross, that's where Jesus paid the price. We all know that, ladies and gentlemen, at the end, just before He dies, what is the words that Jesus use? It is finished. In other words, it is complete. When you make a statement, it is finished, it is complete, it means literally there's nothing more that you can add. There's nothing more that you can bring to the party. It is done, it is finished, it is complete, it is whole. There's nothing more that needs to be done. It's paid in full. Ladies and gentlemen, how foolish would you be After paying off a bond in your house for 20 years, you get a statement from the bank saying, Congratulations, the house is yours. You've been paying for 20 years. Here's the title deed. Yes, you finally made it. Imagine if you still continued to pay for the bond years later. Everyone would look at you and say, What is wrong with you? All that money you're throwing away. Listen listen to the words. You're throwing it away. Ladies and gentlemen, if you try to add to your salvation, you're literally throwing it away. It means nothing. Why? Because God has paid the price. Ephesians chapter 2, I read it to you. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible makes a statement about God many, many times. God is a jealous God. He does not want to share his glory. Here's the problem with Ryan. If Ryan decides I can actually add to, the self, to salvation, what I'm actually saying is simply this, God, if I can make it better, your sacrifice on the cross is not good enough. <gasps> I don't ever want to be in that place. Romans 3 verse 20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, There shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Listen to this. I want you to hear this very carefully. This is not Ryan speaking. This is the scripture. Romans chapter 3. Don't I have it up there? Romans 3.20. Not there. says this. Therefore, by the deeds, in other words, the works of the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight in other words guys when you work the law when you when you actually try your best to fulfill the law what the scripture is literally saying is guess what no deed no flesh will be justified by doing that for by the law is the knowledge of sin what's the point of the law it actually tells you you need a savior did you know that It actually says, it actually proclaims, hey, guess what? The whole point of the law, it shows you how far you are from pleasing God. And it goes on, verse 21 says this, But now a righteousness of God has been revealed, and listen to this word, apart from the law. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. When Jesus was the Mount of Transfiguration, when when the people saw Jesus, who was he with? Can anyone remember? Two people. Moses Moses and? And Elijah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, there's a salvation that's come apart from the law. There's a righteousness that's come apart from the law. Now think about the word apart. Apart means it is not together. everyone, I mean, this is deep theology, I know. Sure, big stuff. But apart means it's not together. It means it's separate. It's something totally different, okay? So uh, righteousness has come of God that is separate from the law and is being witnessed. Who witnessed Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? It was Moses, which represents the law, and Elijah, which represents the prophets, okay? So the law and the prophets all testify to the fact that there's a righteousness that has come from God, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that awesome? And it goes on. It doesn't stop there. Even the righteousness of God, not my righteousness. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says your righteousness, my righteousness is just like filthy rags. It's never good enough. So listen, here's the good news. Even the righteousness of God through the, here's the key word, the faith of Jesus Christ towards all and upon all those who believe. For there's no difference. For we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God, being justified, listen to this word again, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Saved by grace through faith. Romans chapter 4, I'm almost finished now, listen to this. Romans chapter 4, verse 2 to 3 says this, If Abraham were justified by works, He has something of which to glory, but not before God. So if Abraham was justified because of what he'd done, he'd have something to glory, but not before God. It goes on to say this, For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Even Abraham, the father of faith, it wasn't his works that pleased God. It was faith. So some of you might be saying, and rightly saying, oh, cool, right? So you, what you're saying to me is, that, hey, I can just believe and do nothing. Yes, I love this faith. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, that's not what the scripture says. Scripture goes on to say that faith without works is dead. So how do we get the balance? Where does this fit in? Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you the truth. Works is actually a byproduct of what true faith is. And we find that God does not tolerate selfishness. Then you can have a selfish salvation where it's about me and my works. But at the same time, true faith will always produce works. It's not your works That produces faith, by the way. It's your faith that produces works. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it says this. Now the just, who are the just? Those who are righteous. Those who are in right standing with God. Those who are in relationship with God. Shall live by faith. It goes on though. Listen, we don't like the next part. But if anyone draws back, in other words, if you go back to what you used to be like. Ladies and gentlemen, he's quoting this to a Jewish culture. He's quoting this to Hebrews. He's saying, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, back to what? Back to what we know. Back to trying to please God with our works. Trying to please God with our own ethics. Trying to please God in our own way. Guess what? My soul has no pleasure in him. God has got no pleasure in a works-based theology. God finds pleasure when all the glory and all the honor is pointed towards him. I am not saved because I am a good person. My pastors in the past, all the old, who's, who's been in the full gospel for many years, yeah, all the old-time full Gospels will know what I'm about to say. They always said, good people don't go to heaven. Remember that? Only believers do. And that's the truth. That's old-time theology right there. Good people don't go to heaven. Only believers go to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you trying to please God? Think about that for a moment. And I want to challenge you. I'm coming off the platform because I want to challenge you. For me, I spent many years trying to bar my way to heaven. I honestly did. I thought if I go to church every Sunday, if I pray a lot, if I bring my tithes, if I don't sin ever, I'm good enough to go to heaven. Now, am I saying don't? Go to church? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying don't bring your tithes? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying don't pray? No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if you're doing those things to try and get your way to heaven, you've missed it. Because God has already provided a way. And his name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. I like every head bowed every eye closed. This is a challenging moment. I know this is hectic. This is challenging. But while your eyes are closed and your head head's are bowed, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I trying to please God with my performance? Or is my faith about His performance? Am I going to Try and get to God through my works? Or am I trusting in His work? Maybe you've been sitting here and you've been trying your best. And there's nothing wrong with trying your best. But you've got to get to know this. You've got to understand this. For you to progress in your walk. For you to overcome sin in your life. For you to be victorious. It's not about your work. It's about his work on the cross. Where are you in your walk with God? You see, ladies and gentlemen, there's this thing called condemnation that affects so many Christians today. We are condemned because we never make it. Did you know that you will never make it without Jesus? You can try as hard as you want. You can do whatever you want. You can, you can write checks of a million rand every week and give it to the church. You can never please God with your works. It's already done for you. So if you're in this building today and you're saying, Ryan, you know what, I'm tired of just doing it my way. I understand that today I need to put my faith in God. I need to actually put my faith in his work and not my works. I'm tired of being condemned. I'm tired of feeling like I'm not good enough. I'm tired of thinking that God won't answer my prayers because I just haven't done it right. Today is the day you need to be set free and understand God loves you. He cares for you. He has worked for you. So if that's you this morning, and you're saying, Ryan, I, wanna, I want to believe God. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I am going to ask you right there where you are, right now, to lift up your hands nice and high so I can pray for you this morning. I see a whole lot of hands going up. Wonderful. Just put your hands up. Just put it up quickly. A whole lot of hands go up. Last call. Last call. Then I'm going to pray. Anyone else want to put up their hands? This is your opportunity. I want us all to pray this together. You can put your hands down, but you can pray this together. I want us all to pray this together with those who lifted up their hands. Let's pray like this. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. And I thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you, Jesus. And I am saved because of your goodness. Thank you, God, that today I can confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for this gift of salvation in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for praying that prayer. And my prayer is that as we go on throughout this year, That our salvation is going to be so cemented. We're going to be so secure in our faith in Jesus Christ.